Uh, I think I just got it figured out the other day. At first, I was trying to do a uh, like a screen recording thing that I just took the audio from, but that wound up being too shitty. Yeah, this has been really helpful to record. Well, maybe we could talk about um, your podcast too, Pearl Sound. Oh, that'd be fun! Absolutely. Yeah, but I guess first we should talk about um, you translated Ernst Toller's. Um, some of Ernst, Ernst Toller, oh my god, Ernst Toller's poetry in English. <laughs> <laughs> so, what made yes. you, yes, how'd, you did. how'd you come across Toller, and what made you interested in doing some translation work? Uh, well, I was really, I think, inspired by you and Carl talking about, uh, like, leftist movements across Latin America, and not being, and, like, being familiar with uh, the German language. I've, I was, like, I kind of wanted to see what uh, leftists have been kind of left out of translation and, you know, learn what I could through doing some of my own translation about, like, these movements. Uh, and so I kind of really just started looking for, you know, like, communist poets and whatnot uh, and came across Aaron Stoller, who has been... His plays are more translated in English, and that's, like, kind of what he's known for. But uh, I looked, and, like, his poetry has hardly been looked at and, like... Uh, so I saw an opportunity, saw there was only one translation of it done, and I was, and it was pretty terrible. And I was like, hey, I'd, I'd like to give this a shot, and just went for it. Yeah, so like, what struck you about his poems in German when you read them? Um, oh, that's interesting. I mean, it's interesting because they're pretty traditional poems, and like sonnet-wise, very ABBA, uh, ABAB type uh, structure. But uh, honestly, content-wise... Uh, much more, like, accessible to me than, like, Rilke in German, who I've worked with before. Like, uh, I've tried to do, like, what would you call it? Like a, uh, so what's the word? Uh, homophonic translation of Rilke. Kind of like uh, David Melnick's Men in Aida, or what Zukovsky did with Catullus. So I was working through Rilke with that, and, like, I tried to do a... Uh, a kind of cross translation of doing Rilke traditionally and then mixing like line by line doing, you know, one traditional translation, then homophonic, then traditional, then a mix of the two. And that was a very overwhelming project very quickly because it meant I was doing like three translations at once and Rilke was really difficult to work with. <laughs> but uh, so Ernst was just a lot more like, you know, coming to the language, it was a lot easier to understand for me being a uh, not a native speaker of German, uh, which made it just, you know, it felt accessible and also just the, uh, the, the content of it being really heartbreaking and just moving in German. I was like, I was interested as to how I'd be able to capture that in English. Uh, and I think, I think getting rid of the rhyme was a good idea because <laughs> I don't think rhyme carries, at least in poems, like the, the um, oh, what would you call it? melancholy that it perhaps used to or might in German. Yeah, I guess like with German, if there's one thing I know about German, it's that they have a lot of really big and long words because of how the language works. Mm -hmm. And I guess like with that, how, how is, is he like, like how is his use of language in that respect? Is he like, you were comparing him to Rilke, how is that different, I guess? Ernst is really interesting. I, I don't know if it's just my lack of familiarity with uh, writing from this time, because, I mean, he's really one of the first people I've worked through 
from like the early 1920s and this kind of period. And I also don't know if it's like a combination of, I think he also spoke Yiddish. So I don't know if he's got like an interesting syntax by himself or if this is more characteristic of uh, Weimar German uh, or even just German from Bavaria and Munich. Uh, but his syntax is very interesting in like the, the sense that like he doesn't have normal German syntax in a lot of cases, which made like a lot of poems really hard to decipher. His grammar is pretty standard, but like uh, standard meaning like, you know, his use of cases and whatnot and uh, agreement are totally fine. But um, like word order for him was very weird for me, at least like, uh, I don't know if I can think of examples, but that one poem with like the pigeons being attacked by a weasel or whatnot towards the end was like one of the most difficult ones just because there was so much happening, a lot of different objects to different nouns and verbs. And it was uh, it was interesting. But uh, his use of uh, portmanteaus or uh, just compound words in German are really neat. He has a a few instances that I really liked, but even, I mean, even the word that he uses to describe what, uh, what the collection is, is Sonettenkreis, which is like literally sonnet circle, or like it kind of calls back to the word Sonnenkreis, which would be like a Corona, uh, not the beer, uh, but, <laughs> but like, well, it, uh, is, it is Bavaria. <laughs> yes, yeah, very true. But, and that uh, is a uh, theme in his work, actually, but <laughs> that's not yes. what we're on. <laughs> But like the corona of the sun. Uh, so uh, so it was difficult to even, like I, I put off translating what even uh, a Zonettenkreis would be until the end. And like I wound up going with a cycle of sonnets because that was like the closest I could get to. But really I was close to putting like a corona of sonnets or like a sun. So I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, well, that I mean, that that makes a lot of sense, like reading the poems, because he's he does a thing where it at times he's kind of, the sonnets go through a cycle of day and night, and also they seem to go through the cycle yeah. of the seasons, too. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's really interesting, especially the uh, the kind of, I mean, the solitude of them is just heartbreaking, and, like, the, the always the presence of it. A lot of these sonnets are written in, like, you know, the kind of empty ho- holes of other people who have been torn from his life. Like, a lot of them are two executed comrades of his, and like having that be the uh, like epigraph or like a little parenthetical right before a lot of these poems is like, you know, he's writing these out of like the, the grief of a lost comrade and friend and fe- for a fellow revolutionary in a lot of cases or his cellmate even uh, or his mother in one case, which is really interesting to see like, you know, d- I, I mean, I imagine he came, he decided who to dedicate these to after he wrote them, but who knows? I honestly don't know what the, uh, what the, like, uh, how these are preserved even in, uh, in Germany, if there are written manuscripts of these, I'd love to see them and like see his written writing process of them. Yeah, no, cause like to get more to the context in which Toller was writing, he was writing, I think, I don't know if he wrote all of these from his imprisonment from like the end of, um, what is it, the Bavarian Soviet or whatever to 1925-ish. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's the, com- the comrades he's memorializing are people who died, try- who were executed by, you know, the Free Corps, which would have been the yeah. sort of nascent fascist movement in Germany uh, after mm-hmm. the failed revolution. Yeah, the, the Free Corps was really, uh, it was, it's, it's a terrible fact of history that 
the anarchists, which was who uh, Toller was aligned with, uh, had to kind of make, uh, uh, what would you call them, like sessions or like cede a lot of uh, power to the socialist movement that was happening. Because, I mean, the SPD was in power at the time in Weimar. Uh, and they realized that they were losing power. And so, like, you know, the, there was a uh, kind of socialist but mainly anarchist uprising in, it was called the January Revolution uh, that happened in Munich mainly, but it, you know, resonated all across Ber- uh, Bavaria and even Berlin. Uh, and Weimar and, you know, the Ebert regime sent in the Freikorps, the, uh, the Free Corps, who are essentially, like, I don't know, what we'd compare them to today, just like riot police. They're, they're literally like mercenary, former military veterans who literally just are hired by the government uh, to go and crush revolutions. And, you know, they employed them a lot over the years. But, I mean, it, uh, the, the anarchists basically took over uh, Munich without firing a shot. And then, you know, the Freikorps came in and killed like 700 people, which is terrible. The fact that like such such pacifism was met with such brutality, but I mean, such is history. Yeah, and Toller would have been like Toller was like the elected leader of the Bavarian Soviet for a little while, and you know yeah. that's why <laughs> that's like six how, days. <laughs> that's how he ended up in, in imprisoned. Yeah, yeah, he and uh, he and the other anarchist poets. It's I'm, I'm actually in the middle of watching a documentary on uh, the what is it called the the uh, the Munich Soviet Republic, essentially, and then it's uh, the poets and, uh, what is it? I guess the Soviet Republic. Uh, and it's really kind of funny that all of these poets and playwrights were so, uh, and they were all anarchists, I believe, were all uh, working together. So that's like, um, I actually don't know who else. Good. It, I'm looking right here, and I see Gustav Landauer also, Rhett Marut, uh, Eric Muzam, or some other people that they list as his uh, associates. But, uh, yeah, it's just really interesting that, you know, Ernst, who was mainly playwright before, and, uh, like, uh, activist was elected uh, as part of the, like, I don't know if it was a, like, council of people or, like, what actually his role was, but, I mean, six days is six days. So, I mean, good on him. (laughs) He gave it a go. (laughs) He gave it a go. That's a, you know, a fair, I mean, hey, good on him. Yeah. And, you know, again, for his role, he ended up imprisoned. And, you know, that's why we have these poems where, you know, poems of the imprisoned and why many of them are (laughs) dedicated explicitly to executed uh, comrades in the revolution. Yeah. And the, uh, he actually, this isn't the only work he wrote in those uh, four or five years. And, uh, oh, I should mention that uh, they were actually going to execute uh, Ernst, but uh, who, who was it that came to his trial? There were two, Max Weber and uh, someone else. Oh, my gosh. Let me try to find who it was. Uh, Weber and Thomas Mann, who wrote, uh, what did Thomas Mann write? Death in Venice and Max Weber is the famous theorist. Uh, they showed up to his trial and... Uh, you know, protested, essentially. They testified for him and uh, basically convinced the the judge to only give him, you know, uh, a uh, some time in prison instead of actually being executed. Uh, which-
which is good, very good. And or I mean, hey, better than the alternative. Yeah, and one of the weird things I we just figured out before recording was that he would have been in the same prison as Hitler at one point. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's which true. is just wild. No, it's crazy, especially something that I found out which is insane. Uh, and I don't know even like the, you know, the historical accuracy of it, but just the documentary I was watching, they mentioned that the anarchists in Munich were like the first people to wear like the red bands on their arms, which is weird because like, you know, they weren't associated at all with the Nazis. They were actually uh, uh, the opposition to the National Socialists, uh, the anarchists. And I actually don't know if the SPD, the SPD was replaced by the National Socialist Party, but they were kind of you know, equally fascist, as fascist as them. Um, but the fact that the anarchists kind of had that look and then Hitler came into town and was like, hey, you know, guess I'll do that too. It's just weird. I don't know I where mean, that tradition started. It kind of makes sense in a way that the Nazis and a lot of... Oh my God, the Nazis and a lot of... The Nazis and a lot of fascist movements um, kind of like to appeal to the, the left sensibility but um, yeah. yeah, ultimately go in a different direction. Yeah, which is very, uh, like, oh, what's the word I want? Evil. <laughs> I was trying to think of a different adjective, yep. but evil. <laughs> um, you know, to, uh, to kind of appropriate that uh, sensibility. Yeah, and, you know, again, uh, he would have, Toller would have been, like, a public figure again, because he was, at that point, like, a famous playwright in the expressionist movement yeah absolutely and i don't know at all if uh toller and hitler ever crossed paths in niederschoenfeld prison or if they you know knew of each other publicly because this was kind of right before hitler's rise in uh the weimar republic uh this was basically right before or at the time that weimar was about to hit hyperinflation and basically collapse you know they were suffocating under the treaty of versailles uh, their currency essentially meant nothing. There are people who, like, you know, literally went to the banks with wheelbarrows full of cash and, you know, were told that, you know, oh, you can't even buy bread with this. And it was, like, their life savings. Uh, so there was a lot of... And I think, you know, France is going to occupy the Roar region in a few years. Um, and that would lead to more... That would lead to a general strike that would happen. Uh, but, you know, uh, unfortunately... The, the kind of wave that that strike would then ride is uh, what led to uh, the National Socialist Party coming to power, and more specifically Hitler at the head of that party. Uh, and I mean, it really came out of a time of just utter economic turmoil and desperateness, I imagine. But it's what made Ernst need to flee Germany uh, when he saw, you know, the fascism inherent in the Nazi party that was coming to power and, you know, sensed utter danger and had to leave... <laughs> Uh, but unfortunately, his family did not uh, leave with him. I actually don't know the total. Um, I want to read his letters that he wrote during that prison, during, the, uh, during those years. But uh, his family uh, stayed, or at least his brother and sister were still in Germany. And once uh, Toller was in New York, he, in 1939, in 1939 learned of their uh, having been sent to concentration camps and he committed suicide. And I, I was wondering when these poems were written, too, because at one point he does reference um, Buchenwald at the, the, one of the famous concentration camps. That is an interesting thing that you point out, because that I don't believe is intentional on his part. I, I made that choice in translating as like an homage to his family. 
but because uh, the the original German is, I believe, Oya Buchenwald, which literally would just mean your beach forest. But you know, Buchenwald, uh, a beach forest, takes on a much different significa- uh, signification in our contemporary context because the city Buchenwald was a uh, one of the massive yeah, concentration camps. So that was kind of one of my nods towards uh like the 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 demise and the tragedy of the fate of his family and more so like uh, just the, the entire population of Europe um and so you know I kind of did that that was an anachronism in my translation that was intentional but I hope it can be forgiven cuz because of the context oh okay no that does make a lot more sense cuz that poem is about um well, it's called Woods, and it's generally about yeah. the forests of Germany, essentially. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then, I, I mean, I just felt like it fit in that line so much because the next line is Domes of the Oppressed. And yeah, that, so does, I, that does work yeah. really well. And so, I mean, and the fact that Buchenwald is, you know, named after a forest or just, you know, general forests um, made me just decide, you know, oh, I'm going to leave this as Buchenwald and hope that, you know, it's picked up on... <laughs> Yeah, no, that's. I'm glad I asked because I was. I was definitely wondering about that. I'm, yeah. I'm glad you asked too. Hey. <laughs> well, I mean, are there any other instances of that in this? In this that I should ask about? <laughs> um, not as not as uh, direct as that. I don't believe I made any other calls like that. That was one of the biggest ones. Yeah, because overall, um, like you said, the language of this is, I guess, like a lot more straightforward at times and it kind of reminds me like a mm-hmm. bit especially because it's in the sonnet format of like someone like claude mckay and some of the other lefty poets that were writing at the same time in the english world who were using you know traditional con uh, traditional forms to write you know revolutionary stuff yeah but there's like this i guess like a question i have to ask you about the poems though is he does like at the same time talk about the forest but he's also talking about um smokestacks like the smokestacks smokestacks at dawn poem and there seems oh, to be yeah. like yeah and there seems that's to be that's one of like, my favorites <laughs> yeah why, well, what, what do you like about it i mean just the the inherent brutality of industrialization and like the the sheer like menacing i'm trying to pull up that poem right now the like menacing presence of these of smokestacks and gr- the growing industry uh is terrifying and like just their presence in the horizon being this being this uh like essentially demon or devil that he's watching and you know he he ends the line he ends the poem uh how the how the smokestacks resemble the frozen guards watching and become sharp and bleak and gray and stand there helpless and lost in the light ether that burst a god which is like he does the he does these really interesting turns toward the ends of a lot of his sonnets where like they they end totally elsewhere from when they started like you know most sonnets, but I just really love the movements in his poems because uh, like in the light ether that bursts a god like you know referring to that evil as you know a god is really interesting because there's a lot of in uh, I don't know if it's in uh, poems of the imprisoned but I'm working on his book of swallows right now which is another book that he wrote in in that uh same time of imprisonment and you know there is a critique of capital or at least in Ant's work otherwise and in his circle you know being an anarchist he was very aware of g- corporate greed 
and you know dangers of industrialization and just i felt like this poem smokestacks at dawn really resonated with me in terms of like one we have the the image of smokestacks from buchenwald and what that means and uh which is terrifying but i don't think that was what he was referring to here but i think it you know takes on that later significance as you know the history of concentration camps comes to us yeah and the history of german industry and yeah the holocaust absolutely and uh but really in this first poem reminded me a lot of paul salon's uh todesfuge death fugue at least in which which it couldn't have been uh drawn from because i think paul salon wrote that way after this um although they were alive at the same time i don't know how familiar they were with one another or if they even like cross paths at all um but the first line of death fugue is uh what is it you uh Black milk of the morning. Schwarze, uh, I remember it in German better, so I'm sorry. Schwarze milk der Frühe. Uh, wir trinken sie morgens, wir trinken sie abends. Wir trinken und trinken wieder schaufen und graben der Himmel. Da liegt man nicht eng. You know, black milk of the morning, we drink you at daybreak is like the first line. So when he goes black weight at daybreak, I was like, oh shit. <laughs> you know, it, it was just a really cool comparison to see like these two uh, really prominent German uh, Jewish poets who write in German, uh, having these similarities. And if those, those similarities like more or less have to arise out of coincidence or just, you know, similar experience and similar grief, which is really moving and just terrifying. Yeah, one of the reasons I was really interested in Toller was he's kind of from in a slightly earlier generation than a lot of the writers we read, we traditionally read from like, you know, Weimar Germany and the, and the rise to the the rise of the Nazis, we tend to focus on, like, you know, the Frankfurt School or Brecht or, mm-hmm. or you know, as you're saying, Salon. And Toller's a bit, a bit older. Toller, like we said, was a participant in the 18, 1918 and 1919 uh, communist revolts in Germany. And, like, it's interesting to see, like, I definitely would be curious to know, like, what his influence was on subsequent writers. Like, I imagine he was an influence for someone like Brecht with his plays. Oh, absolutely. I'm... I'm really interested even in looking at uh, the writers around him that were working, like the other playwrights. Oh, yeah, totally. uh, Like, I don't even know, you know, how well-preserved those are in German, but, I mean, they're definitely better known in German than English, and, you know, bringing them over into English might be interesting. Like, you know, trying to revive some of the work of this period seems like, you know, a really cool project, and I'm very happy to have subject for Aaron Stoller because I absolutely love his work, Uh, and I wouldn't have come across it if I didn't uh, stumble upon that translation that I despised. <laughs> well, well, I guess something good came of that terrible translation then. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, hey. I mean, who is it? Is it, is it Benjamin that said uh, every translation is like a new poem in itself that should be... Is that him? Or is that am I thinking of someone else? Uh, I can't remember, but it, regardless, it is interesting, like we were talking about with involved earlier like you know thinking of translations as new works yeah absolutely yeah like how you you know translated that to be something different because of the resonances it has now yeah and i uh you know i think uh, i think someone asked me i don't know if it was you or or uh grief boy he wants his does he want his he's, name in public i don't know he's got a he's got a new ad i we can't even keep track <laughs> is it a nice try officer 
That's that sounds like it's it. That's such a good name. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if it was you or him who asked me, you know, how much, um, you know, agency does a translator have in translating a work? And I basically answered, you know, oh, I don't, I really don't know. Uh, and or maybe it was a friend who asked me this just in person. And I basically said, you know, these are poems that really have not been seen ever before in English. So, you know, I come at them with, the, you know, a kind of reverence to preserve a lot of the, as much meaning as I can. And I definitely don't come at them as, as kind of, you know, an Anne Carson coming to Greek poetry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you but know? on the other hand, that gives you a lot of agency because these are such unfamiliar works. Absolutely. Which is, which is you know stressful but also really cool and you know gives me a lot of room gives me a lot of leeway with the language considering a lot of it is dated or you know unfamiliar to me who you know has learned uh you know 21st century german trying to learn now what they spoke like you know because it isn't too different too different but like definitely there are you know i'm noticing you know words are used more commonly that like i don't know at all like the word for face for instance or like uh or countenance that he uses is always antlitz, which is a word I've never seen before. I'm familiar with Gesicht. And so like, if that's just like a regional thing, that's one thing, but like literally that's a word I've never come across before. And there are a lot of interesting examples of that. And like, uh, I mean, that's just, inter- that's just interesting for me as like a language nerd. <laughs> no, that's totally really interesting. Like you were mentioning earlier, how he kind of ends poems in interesting ways. And one of my favorite examples of that was um, Pass to the World, where he ends it. A blade of grass reveals the riches of the cosmos. A wilting flower pulls on us like a sick child. <laughs> the, colorful, the colorful shit of the birds is only a shell of the, of, an, of the nameless universe into which we're woven. A wind blows human laughter from the distance, and we are drunk on the hymnal music of the stars. Absolutely. I love that one so much. Yeah, that was such a good ending, too, and I really liked it. I think to quote in this setting, because it, like it ends with a couple of things he touches on all the time, which is music and drinking and the stars outside that he must be seeing from his prison. Yeah. No, totally. He, he has a very interesting uh, kind of, he, he doesn't encounter nihilism so much in his uh, imprisonment and especially in his poetry, you know. He definitely like flirts with it at times. And, you know, there is definitely pain and suffering which are all very palpable in in the palpable and heartbreaking in the work but you know he always kind of comes around at these kind of you know very capital r romantic movements um which i think are really beautiful given given the circumstances and you know really uh impressive yeah and like with with that too i think what's interesting is you know you're talking about the nihilism. And I think one of the reasons for that is he, the way he talks about death. And I think for him, death seems to be like a, uni- a unifying thing that we all yes, face. Yes, he has that one, the first poem that says that. Yes, exactly. He, it, it is explicit in his work, <laughs> which I think is really interesting to think about in terms of like, if you're like, in terms of like thinking about sort of like the leftist solidarity and left and sort of mm-hmm. constructing you know, a broad-based movement, like, what does it mean to think about it in that context? Sorry, what was that? A broad-based movement and then yeah, cut like, off? Sorry, like, thinking about death in terms of, like, a unifying thing that can be the basis of a broad-based movement. Like, that's, 
that's I think an interesting turn that kind of makes his work feel more nihilistic than maybe it is. Yeah, I think that's absolutely correct. And like, you know, I've I, I'm writing this. At, it, I'm translating this work, which was written, I think, almost exactly a hundred years ago now, which is really strange to you know see that the world has you know fallen into very similar fascisms, and that you know we are just at as we are just as in danger of ourselves as we were then, if not more so, you know, being, at, you know, kind of the teetering edge of a climate collapse. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I'm very glad that a lot of his poems make that turn. But, you know, if we look at, you know, especially Sleepless Night, that one end where, you know, death leads us into unity. I mean, I, I think it's a movement towards, uh, I mean, he has the one line, which is like, which I could have translated as uh fuck defined borders, which I was interested in doing. But I didn't think that was kind of what he meant. I didn't think it was an abolish borders, <laughs> like, move. But I would have uh, yeah, liked I think to keep that. Yeah, I think it, the, the fuck borders line, I really liked that. That was Yeah. I really enjoyed that translation. And I think you're right. It, it does seem like a broader fuck to just boundaries in general. But I think borders is definitely included in that. Yeah, no, definitely. And... uh but no, it's it's very interesting, and I, I I'm really happy to be translating his work in a time where you know, uh, like where we're talking about a lot of leftist poetry that's kind of been left out of the canon, um, and you know, to make this available is really an honor, and you know, I'm glad people have been liking it. <laughs> yeah, no, people people really like it. I think. Yeah, it's really cool. I definitely didn't expect it to be, you know, as uh, as uh, what's the word like red as as it has been. Yeah, and I mean, like, I think some of it goes to, I, you know, I've read a lot of history of, like, you know, the Weimar Republic and the revolution that occurred after World War mm-hmm. One, and just so much of that work just is not available in English. And so, like, I could see why yeah. people would be so drawn to it when it becomes available. No, absolutely. And, you know, that's kind of why I'm interested in, uh, I want to try to get my hands on his letters that he wrote in that prison and, you know, see if I can work out any correspondences of his. I have no idea... You know, if those have even been translated at all, I doubt that there's a collected letters of Ernst Toller in English, you know? There might not even be a collected letters of Toller in German. Do you know if there is? I don't know. I've seen, uh, I think he does have like one of those big like university volume sets that's in like six volumes in German. But, you know, I don't know if that includes his letters or his prison work or what, or like when that was even published. Because a lot of his plays uh, were censored for a long time by... uh, especially Weimar, but even, uh, and, you know, the Nazi party. But uh, I think uh, early into uh, whatever, uh, what was it? What what German, What was West Germany called? The B- Bundesrepublik Deutschland, BRD? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know. Okay, well, I whatever. Just, I, it's just West <laughs> Germany in my head. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, I don't even know when his plays, you know, resurfaced in West Germany, or, you know, if he was... How, how his work was uh, preserved through uh, the, war, the Second World War, you know, especially yeah, the book burnings. Point. He would have been a prime target as a German, like, leftist Jew. As an anarchist Jew, leftist German, yeah. Absolutely. Literally president of the Literally Bavarian president Soviet. of the Soviet Republic, yeah. No, they definitely would have wanted to burn everything he wrote. Yeah, yeah, I can see why that would have happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, I wonder how much of his work he took with him to uh, New York and England, if that actually had to do with his uh, preservation. I need, I'm really interested in that. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking you could probably find some of his stuff here in the United States, like in terms of in like university libraries. I'm sure there's something. Yeah, I'm gonna my, my my college, you know, has a real doesn't even have like language programs or German classes, but we have for some reason a really extensive German collection. And I'm gonna see if we've got any of his work because you know we've got Brecht and everything. <laughs> yeah, maybe um, or at the very least, maybe they can uh, get it sent to you. Oh, totally. Interlibrary loan, baby. Yeah, I missed that. Oh boy, yeah. I wanted to ask you too about the last poem, I think, in the collection. Yes. I, it well, starts off like really interesting. Like the mo- So let me, I'll just read it. It's called Our Way. <laughs> yeah. The monasteries have decayed and lost their meaning. The sirens of factories screech over the vespers. And the, mil- and mil- and the millions of defiant liberation songs no longer fall silent on cloistered gates. Where are the monks who answer the throbbing? Salvation is the aesthetic world silence. A joint hunk, cry of hunger, a single diamond will will burn into get into the gates. Give us life. And like, well, so that's that's half of the poem. And I just yeah. wanted to ask, like, um, you know, like, what what do you think is going on there with the reference to like the monasteries, especially when contrasted with the factories? Yeah, it's really. <laughs> I love this poem a lot, especially. For, yeah, like, it's really. Know, it's, this is it's overt communism and anarchism. It's really interesting. Yeah, it's really striking. Um, I mean, it almost feels to me like a like a push towards you know a Soviet state. Um, but I mean, especially in you know the fact that you know the monasteries have decayed and lost their meaning, it feels to me like the abolishing of organized religion, uh, the sirens of factories screech over the vespers, is you know the rise of industrialization, and yet we have these liberation songs, and you know that they're being heard on that they're being heard in the monasteries. And then, you know, the call, uh, the, 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 actually the, the literal inscribing onto gates, give us life, you know, like return it to us. He, he later says in the poem, you know, we want to bring the kingdom of peace to the earth. And, you know, the italics there are very intentional, you know, not like some striving in the afterlife for perfection or, you know, uh, putting it off till then, but, you know, actually having prosperity now here is, you know, I think the move in the poem. Yeah, and, like, well, what's really interesting to me about this poem is the way it builds off of what he's, like, the themes that he's worked on, like, throughout this entire collection. Mm-hmm. And what, so, like, why, one of the reasons I ask about the monasteries is, like, that, that is the only image, like, in the, in the poem that, that is new to, like, this work. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So, like, it was really interesting to me to see that, like, in the very first line, because then... The rest of the poem, whether it's the factories that we've discussed earlier, the liberation songs, again, song, songs was like a key theme mm. throughout this. Yeah. And, you know, like you were saying, there, you were mentioning like the, the birth of a new society, you know, under mm-hmm. communism. That is also an image that was frequently played with in these poems. So like to see, to see like the introduction of a new topic, the monasteries and the monks, like at the very mm. end here, like I was... It, I'm just like really interesting. Like, what was what's up? <laughs> no, that's actually that's a good question that I don't know if I have an answer to. I know that's a that's a broader question. I was just just seems like something that uh, maybe people reading this maybe should ask too. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I'd love to hear what people think about that. I yeah, mean, at us. I think at us. Yeah, the uh, it's it's interesting because you know I actually don't know. Uh, it is. I wonder if it has to do with the rise of anti-Semitism, but I don't know even how prevalent that was in 1920s 
Oh, Germany. Uh, uh, I mean, spoilers. historically, spoilers. it's been terrible. <laughs> yeah, no, Germany was like just like unbelievably anti-Semitic, like starting in the ni- like from the nineteenth century. It's just anti-Semitism was incredibly rampant, like just unbelievably ramp- rampant. Yeah. Well, I'd imagine I, then that this is I know, um, fuck yeah. the Christians. Yeah, and I know Toller faced a lot of anti-Semitism in his earlier life, I think. I I saw in a couple things that I briefly <laughs> skimmed. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, and so, I mean, I wonder if it has to do with that, but I mean, even... He kind of includes himself in the in the kind of converted people when he says, we are not stammering prayers for hours. You know, we are, we've kind of, you know, given up the deferral that is prayer kind of to a higher power we are the higher power now yeah it ends with you know we do not torment the bodies on the scaffold we have found another way to the world we are not stammering prayers for hours we want to bring Mm -hmm. the kingdom of peace to the earth to bring freedom to the oppressed of all countries we must struggle for the sacrament of the earth yeah and that last line is really that i i spent a while on that last line because you know yeah why don't you tell us about it (laughs) It's really interesting. He uses a word again, uh, the word struggle here as a verb is uh, in the original German is ringen, which, you know, reminds me, of course, of uh, rings and, you know, to ring around something or, you know, and circle. But, you know, that's the that's the what I hear of it when I when I think in English. But uh, when, you know, I looked up its actual meaning, it was, you know, struggle, struggle. and, you know, other, other synonyms of that nature, which I found interesting. And it was actually wrestle as well was something that I saw. But it was interesting because, you know, sacrament, the word sacrament is sacrament in the German. So, you know, that was definitely sacrament. Uh, and, you know, I think it's, of course, I don't think it's too up in the air what the sacrament of the earth is. You know, I think it is, you know, his ideal society, this utopia that he wants, um, or just, you know, the the realization of a socialism that, you know, will bring peace to all people. And that's, you know, when I, that's why when I heard Ringen, I wanted to somehow include, you know, the, the worldwide round, bringing it everywhere, essentially. But I mean, the, the sacrament of the earth, because it also seemed like bringing it around the entire planet. But I didn't know that that context wasn't there in the German, so I didn't go for it. But it was something I heard in the German, which is interesting. Yeah, and, and just and does um, what you translated as struggle have the same kind of lefty connotations? Do you think or? Oh, absolutely. I, think... <laughs> I figured. <laughs> no, totally. I mean, the uh, what was uh? Let me look up again. Yeah, go the, for uh, it. The uh, oh, what was I doing? The Bavarian Soviet Republic. Their literal uh, motto was from Marx. It's Proletaria alle Länder vereinigt euch, workers of the world unite. So <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a good one. <laughs> that's a good one, right? Yeah. Classic. <laughs> so I mean, I think very, very influenced by Marx, the word struggle is absolutely intentional. Um and I'm surprised we see it I think one other time in uh in the collection, which is when he refers to a mother struggling for herself and her child. I'm trying to remember what poem that's in. Um, yeah, that's the one that's to his um, cellmate. Yeah, yeah, that's the, oh, that's the Prisoner and Death. That's the double sonnet, which is really interesting. Yeah, that was, that, that seemed like a key poem that we should probably talk about. Yeah, no, that one was really interesting. Um, and how a mother struggle, or well, 
Oh, where should yeah, I Yeah, so I'll set song? it up, but it's like you said, it's a double sonnet, and the, yeah. the first sonnet is what the prisoner says, and then the second sonnet is death speaks, death responds, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, oh, I don't even know where to go with this. It's just yeah, interesting. This, <laughs> this, this was, a, this was like I said, this, was, this felt like a... This poem was about halfway through the collection, and it really felt like a turning point for things, but what it exactly that is, I not entirely certain oh i i'm the one who did it i'm not even certain <laughs> but uh it's it, i mean i think it absolutely shows in especially the first one you know again that flirtation with uh the you know nihilism of imprisonment and you know striving for death i mean there's that other poem uh, the prisoner reaches a hand towards death which is i think about a poem about a prisoner who died um in in his cell and, uh, you know, this one is more so about a prisoner who uh, is, you know, considering death and, you know, is speaking with death, but then, you know, decides, you know, oh, I'm not, to choose death would be cowardly, you know, I'm not giving up like that. I want to live, I want life to love me, you know. Uh, and then that ending line, which is, world filled by the drunken earth lust that hasn't slaked a thousand years, was like, damn dude <laughs> yeah that that struck me as a line where some of those like german portmanteaus would have come in yeah oh let me let me pull out the text and see what we've got going on there but you know you keep talking yeah so like with so like from there so this the con for the context of this line this is the last line in the first sonnet so this is the line where um the prisoner is speaking and the prisoner goes out with in the last um triplet mm-hmm. i want life so for life to love me and as its rhythm streams through me, me, world filled by the drunken earth lust that hasn't, sl- that hasn't slaked a thousand years. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the next line would be the beginning of Death Speaks. Yeah. So do you, I mean, do you, yeah, so yeah. you have the, oh, no, go on. No, you go on. Uh, one of the, one of the most, I think, I don't know, I kind of want to talk about the, uh, the combination of, uh, what the word uh, womb is doing in this uh, in this collection, because I think it has much more of a much more of a palpable presence in uh, the German because of the the sound of it. A lot of the uh, the, the word womb is schoss, and uh, I made a thread at one point about this because I was getting confused between schoss and schuss. Um, schuss is you know a shot, but from a gun. And then Schoss is uh, the wo- a woman's womb. Um, and uh, it's te- kind of terrifying that they're just a vowel apart and other than that look entirely the same. Um, but what's more so terrifying is how so many of the poems begin, um, uh, how, how is it in German? Dem Andenken des Erschossenen Kameraden. And you know then the name of the comrade. But Erschossenen means, you know, shot, past tense, or executed. And for Schoss to be in that verb, Erschossenen, and then have the word Schoss be present so much as womb is, te- the, I mean, you go, again, the combination, the, the kind of dialectic that life and death have in these, in these sonnets is really, really interesting. Yeah, I was wondering about that because, um, like you were saying, it, it did seem like he wasn't necessarily doing it it seemed like a different thing was going on than the traditional like gendered understanding of it. And so it's interesting to see, to hear you say that because it it didn't seem like he was using it in like the the traditional way that it would be used in like English poetry, let's say. Yeah, no, it it definitely never felt too gendered for me. Even when, uh, 
I mean, a, a lot of it's just, you know, the nature of uh, German being, you know, a, a three-gendered language. You've got der, die, das. Uh, and uh, one, of the, one of those moments was like when, you know, oh, the, the, the stool says he likes to carry you. I kept it as he because, you know, one, it kind of shows a moment of, uh, I guess, what's the word? Hysteria? Or not, that's not the word we want, what we're talking about. <laughs> Things being gendered. <laughs> but uh, you know what I mean? Like kind of madness. Uh, but, you know, I kept it as he just because, you know, in German, you're able to take uh, the pronoun that is similar, that is connected with the verb, with the noun based on what its gender is. So you can say what would in English be read as he and mean it. So technically that meant, that meant uh, the stool says it, it likes to carry you, but I kept it as him because, you know, it kind of translates some of that, I guess, or it kind of infuses it with a little bit of the madness, I guess, of being... Yeah, maybe of, like, some of the mindset. personification, too, that was going on in that poem. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that got totally off track from this poem. <laughs> no, no, but yeah, well, let's get, let's get, no, I think that's important because um, of how, like, again, how that relates to the life and death in the poem, in this collection. So, like, what, mm -hmm. so, like, that last, that, that last, like, couple lines in the, in the poem for his uh, cellmate, like, what, like, what does that look like in German? In, uh, in the, fir in uh, the prisoner says or death speaks? right before death speaks the last couple lines of the prisoner says where we have in in english like world filled uh yeah. earth, earth lust yeah like so what's that look like okay so uh, i'll read that last tercet which is ich will das leben so dass mich das leben liebt und seinen rhythmus durch mich strömt mich welter fühlten das trockene erdenlos mich tausend jahre stillten and so there actually aren't too many uh crazy words here. We've got Welterfrühten and Erdenlust. Erdenlust just being Earthlust, but that's, you know, one word. Um, and so I kept it as one word. And then Welterfrühten was actually interesting because uh, it is in German capitalized, meaning, you know, it's a noun. But uh, I, I kind of, you know, was like, I guess we would use that as an adjective, adverb in some sense. Uh, so, you know, I mean, either way, if it was... Uh, now and I wouldn't have to capitalize it in English, but uh, the th that actually was a was a tough one to translate. Yeah, well, let me let me just say really quick, like yeah. So it's vel it's Weltenfrühten, Welterfrühten. So like full meaning like filled, full, and then Welt being world, and then Erfrühten meaning fulfilled, really, or like satisfied. But because you've got the Welt doing the Erfrühten, I you know, it was like fulfilled doesn't really do it. So I kind of took it to mean more of like, you know, a world filled thing because it's one word. Yeah. Like for me, like someone who knows like six words of German, one of the six words, of course, <laughs> I know is Welten. Welt. Yeah. 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 Welten Schong, like worldview world. Oh uh, yeah, like, yeah. 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 Like, Marx. so to me, yeah, to me, that seems like, especially cause you know, Toller is Mar a Marxist here. Uh, <laughs> maybe there's some kind of resonance there. Yeah, that's actually an interesting point. I didn't even think Weltanschauung when I saw this. <laughs> but yeah, no, absolutely. Um trying to think at other points where he uses Welt if there's uh Yeah, that's, that's yeah, see. good idea. Welt and Ferner Stille is a uh in our way is, you know, a uh what is that? That's what what did I translate that as? I can't even do it right now. <laughs> a wor world silence? World silence, yeah. Let me see. I have it as yeah, world silence. But then it's interesting because it, that doesn't even do it total justice because Welt and Ferner would be like 
uh, as far as a world or like world distance, um, given the... And then, and then you have another word translated as world later in the poem. We have found another way to the world. We are not stammering mm-hmm. prayers for hours. So like, what's the context of that one? Is that... Is that... I think no. that's actually pretty, uh, pretty straightforward. Uh, let me see that. Yeah, that's literally just we have another way or another path to the world found. Is the is the strict uh, transliteration of yeah, that? Yeah, I figured. I figured. I just asked since. <laughs> no, since yeah, it's, right it's there. definitely an interesting question. I'm here for it. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm trying to see if he uses Erde in it because he uses Erdenlust for Earthlust. Um, and then he uses the earth again, like twice in that last poem, which is really interesting. Yeah, and, er- and again, earth is something that like recurs throughout this collection in some like really interesting ways that you know is very poetic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this poetry is poetic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's a very that's a hot take, steaming hot take from Marx's poetry. <laughs> the poetry is poetic, people. <laughs> Yeah, but that's like, I don't know, it's really, that's a really interesting context to like flip into again where death speaks, where it begins, you know, Mm. you want, you want that life. So why do you pale? Is it because my melodies ring in your soul? Who carries me, breathes reconciliation, whose heart can't hear such bright sound. Such bright sound. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I don't know, like the, the transition there, like I'm saying, it feels like a pivotal point in the poem. I think it absolutely is. I mean, to, I mean, death is personified a lot, especially in like you know, as a uh, as a figure kind of walking around in the jail cell. I mean, I think you could use death to be synonymous with a lot of the guards, uh, with you know, literally embodied in the dying prisoner, you know, who has that black, uh, the black that falls from his mouth and you know goes into another person's wound, being you know, like you know an embodiment of sickness moving around the cell, the, the prison. Um, but the, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, it's, I, I think it'd be an understatement to say death is pulling a lot of weight here. <laughs> yeah, well, you mentioned the, the prison guards there, and one of the quotes that sort of starts this off with, that the book starts off with is, comrade, in every city, in every village, a prison goes with you. I and love I that think, one so much. Yeah, that's a really good one. And that, um, I feel like that really sets the tone and like i don't like what you're saying like death it like death is often personified as a prison guard but i don't think that they're completely synonymous in a way that is is really interesting yeah and i mean to 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 bounce off that i mean the first mention of death is in the epigraphs uh who pioneers the path dies on the threshold though it slants before him in reverence of death as if like you know again i think that's like the first instance of personification of death yeah, I, was, I meant to ask you about that. So, like, where where does the word pioneers come from? Oh, let me see that. Let me see that. That is... Wer die Pfarrbereitet stirbt an der... Oh, wait, am I looking at the right one? Okay, so this is... Wer die Pfarrbereitet stirbt an der Schwelle, doch es neigt sich vor ihm in Erfurcht der Tod. So the word pioneers... I took from bereitet, which would be more like prepares, I think, is what I originally was going to put. But then in looking at other translations of the word, I decided pioneers 
and you know, still totally not sure how confident I am about that decision. But uh, yeah, yeah, because like especially in English, it has that weight of colonialism. But like, which I think is fair to put here because he definitely yeah, was critical of it. Yeah, and I also think I'm sure Germans had some words that have been uh, affiliated with colonialism. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but the uh, the kind of I, I definitely think it kind of had a tinge of you know. Uh, probably not what they would have called Manifest Destiny, but whatever, I mean, God, whatever you'd want to call, fuck. There are other words for it that are equally terrible in German, probably. Uh, but it definitely felt to me like, you know, who pioneers the, the path dies on the threshold. Yeah, I think... So it um, slants, like, the, the reverence of death being, like, you know, just destruction going forward, being for pure fascistical causes. I think, like, the German uh, Manifest Destiny would be Lebensraum, probably. Yeah, yeah. Although that's not like a one-to-one, obviously. No, but I, I definitely, that, I think that's the word I was looking for. Yeah, I thought, that one of the six words I know. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. I'd love to hear that list of them. Um, well, maybe it'll come out over the course of this. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. So, like, I'm is there any... Think... Oh, no, oh, Sorry, yeah. No, uh, just based on that epigraph, there's that one poem that he does which is very interesting, uh, search and capture. The end of that poem um, goes, uh, so the last two tercets of it are, so they stood before us, all the nameless rebels against this century's tyranny, from slave ships, those mutinous sailors, the supplies eternal defiant cry. So they stood on the walls of devotion, so they died on the verge of the promised times kind of feels to me like you know an expansion of that epigraph especially those last two lines yeah and this really gets at like what we're talking about in the last poem how it returns to themes and whatnot yes and the theme Absolutely. of uh, the birth of a new society the promised times mm -hmm. and also i think it absolutely speaks to our um our current predicament of the climate catastrophe of like you know how a lot of people react to it as you know a problem that does not exist in your current lifetime, you know, you will not see the the fallout of it. So therefore, you know, avoiding it. But you know, these uh, I, I find it very interesting that he calls the the those mutinous sailors the supplies eternal defiant cry, meaning the slaves um, eternal defiant cry. You know how you know they have to you have to stand on the walls of devotion to the cause, being you know freedom, being uh, liber world liberation, being you know a revolution. Uh, and, you know, dying on the verge of the promised times is kind of necessary, you know, in the name of the cause. Yeah, and this reminded me a bit of, like, some future, like, liberation theology type stuff. And hopefully I'll be doing an episode about that in the coming weeks. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that was, I don't know. He has, there's a lot of interesting religious stuff going on in these poems that I don't fully grasp, I'd say. <laughs> no, there really is. I wonder, uh, I'm only, like, ten pages into... Uh, the Book of Swallows, but uh, you know how, uh, what is the, what is the, uh, the character we get? We get Comrade Evening in this book. Yeah, we that get was a good in, one. Uh, I love that one. But then in the Book of Swallows, we get Comrade Death. So I'm very excited to see where he goes. Yeah, I'm very excited to learn more about this Comrade Death. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 I, I hope to talk to you about that one when I, when I get oh, that yeah, one Oh, yeah, for sure. Done. For sure, we'll talk about that. All right. Uh, do you, do, you, do you want to talk about Pearl Sound at all, or like? Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to check. Is there's anything you want to talk about, um, Ernst Toller? Ernst Toller still? Uh, 
I mean, I think I'm good. Definitely, I encourage everyone, you know, do their own reading on people of this time. And like, you know, if you want the PDF of it, I have it available to download on Gumroad or Google Drive. Uh, and even on Gumroad, it's free and you can name your own price if you want. And yeah, support I actually, Matilda. Yeah, please. Hey, poor college student. <laughs> I, uh, what was I going to say? I have an episode of Pearl Sound actually coming out hopefully later today that will link to this episode of Marxist Poetry, where I'm just reading the entirety of the sonnets in first English and then German. So if you're interested to that, you can listen to them all free over there. And then this is, you've already heard the conversation. (laughs) Yeah, and that'll definitely be out by the time this is released. I'm already, I have four episodes recorded that I've not edited. So who knows, this could be, this will be like a week away. Yeah, that is, that is awesome. Yeah, I didn't release any last week. Um, Yeah, so now I have several. We're we're all very disappointed in you. Well, you know, maybe one week I'll finally re- release five in one week. Uh, we're getting closer to that every day. <laughs> well, so how how's uh, Pearl Sound going? How what what's been the like? How did how did you start that? Like, what's how what went into that? Well, uh, it's totally copied from you. I think you tweeted it. You tweeted the the thing uh, that Marxist poetry was like. What did you say? You wanted something like Pen Sound, but. For the, pen sound for the yeah, people? Pen sound for the people. Yeah. And so you said that, and I was like, oh, I'm absolutely fucking doing that. Uh, and I like, so I'm like, oh, Pearl Sound's a thing I can do. Absolutely going to start it. Uh, just stole all of your ideas and doing a podcast. And I was like, hey, I uh, hope you don't mind. <laughs> no, no, honestly, we need more of these podcasts, so it's fine. I'm, I'm glad there's more. <laughs> hey, well, I'm trying. And, you know, I just need people to read their poems and then I'll be good. I've only got like two episodes up so far. Um, and Yeah, you know, the I one with James of... was really good. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah, James was great to talk to. He's a good podcast guest. Yeah, James <laughs> is a really good podcast guest. He makes your job really easy. <laughs> right? I was sitting there the whole time. I'm like, okay, you can just take the reins, dude. <laughs> he, he just goes He just goes off. It's great. <laughs> but uh, I've got a lot of readings lined up, or at least, you know, tentatively planned with a lot of people around the paint bucket crowd. Uh, and, you know, I want to get anyone up there who is a leftist who wants to read their poetry. That's really the only, uh, like, thing I ask of you is, you know, be to the left, and I will as, gladly have you. As with this podcast. <laughs> yeah. But, like, you know, I really w- don't want to have... Because uh, I love the Pen Sound project, but again, you know, I have to be critical of it because it does, you know... Uh, kind of like what we were talking about in the last time I was on here, it does kind of, uh, what's the word, inculcate a kind of... Um, what's the canon it does kind of you know inculcate yeah, a canon exactly. of yeah of you know that sure a lot of them are leftists definitely but you know they are all you know professors in university they've all you know published volumes of poetry um you can't just get on there for being a poet which is i kind of find uh disheartening but you know i understand that it's you know an institutional thing whatever you know they're never going to have open access like you know like they might want i don't even know if they really want that but uh it's a good good like the project is a good goal they have a lot of good stuff you know it's all i think open open what in the public domain i think yeah you can just go to like pensound.com or some shit and it's all there i think (laughs) yeah um and so basically i wanted to create like a similar archive but you know in a much more accessible form and you know much more easily uh with, you know, a much more easy entryway, you know, just send me a DM on Twitter and, you know, or go through that submission form and just get on here. 
and you know read yeah, the poems exactly. and talk to me about them. Yeah, and uh, and I'm really excited for it. Like I've already got you know people from my school lined up to do it, and you know it's pretty exciting. Yeah, like with me, I think one of the things I want to do is like rather than canon building is like try and build up yeah. people who otherwise might not otherwise have a chance to do poetry like like you're saying with Pensound, you need a book out and you know how what's the yeah, process you, for you, getting you a more book? or less know just that. need you know reputation as a poet to be on there you know yeah, and exactly like yeah exactly and like this is like one like doing a podcast is one way to build reputation as a poet so i view it as a way to get people i like published eventually oh absolutely yeah and I mean, the um, did you see that I registered the domain uh, capital? Yeah, that was good. <laughs> so, uh, so if you go to capital, it's literally like a blogspot page that I'm now paying uh, like $50 a year to own .capital, which uh, I'm perfectly content with. That's the only uh, expense currently of the podcast. And yeah, I've already made to, back uh... that money with, uh, with uh, the translation, which is nice. Oh hell yeah, that's great! No, yeah. I need to, uh, I need to get on that wave and get a website. <laughs> well, I've only, I only wanted it so that way I could host people whose poems aren't published on there. So that way, you know, there's text to read yeah. along with. Yeah, I need to do that because I think Carl offered to, uh, to share some of the poems from the Infrarealist episode, and those aren't in English available oh, anywhere. Awesome. So, yeah, so yeah. I need to get a website together so we can host some of his poems. Yeah, that'd be sweet. I'd be happy to host him in the meantime if he needs it. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I, yeah, we'll definitely uh, see how much I get done. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but I mean, there's not too much else going on there. I really just need people to fucking message me, you know, at ProSound, at Matildork, whatever you, whatever you can. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. Message me Matilda. Poems. And then, you know, come on, read them and talk with me. That's, that's really all. Like, the podcast can be like, you know, 15 minutes to an hour. I really don't care. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. I'll, maybe I'll do that, and definitely other people should. <laughs> Hell yeah. No, please come on. I've known here twice already. <laughs> okay, I'll come on. You're right. I definitely should. <laughs> yeah, um, I, and I don't think there's too much else to say about it other than, you know, we're just an archive slash podcast of contemporary leftist poetry and poetics. That's our little little motto thing. Bio. Yeah, so I mean, pretty similar to this one. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. In, in, the, in a good way, though. I meant that. Uh, as a <laughs> Because again, I'm very happy yeah, to we, have we don't like competition. <laughs> no, me too. We, yeah, we don't believe in that. Absolutely. Well, Amigas, is there anything else you wanted to say? Uh, I think I'm good. Other than you know, just keep up this work with this podcast. The last few episodes have been insane. I've been loving it. Yeah, it's been wild talking to some. Just like I've talked to some people who like just I didn't know anything about, and just like some really interesting stuff has happened. And then I talked to you know, like Wendy Trevino, and it's like, whoa. Oh, that was, that was awesome. I loved that episode. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I'll have to, I'm definitely trying to get more episodes out like that, <laughs> like all that. Yeah. Well, but thank you so up. much for talking. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Uh, you're welcome to go listen to uh, the, whatever you call it, my recording of the poems if you want to listen to it or download the PDF.